Hello and welcome to the Combat and Classics Podcast. This is Brian Wilson in Dallas, Texas. Shiloh Brooks at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And I'm Jeff Black from St. John's College in Annapolis, Maryland. We are on book nine of the Iliad, and I'm going to make a feeble attempt at an overview. And Jeff's going to give us uh, an opening question. So in book nine, we are on the heels of the Trojans coming out to the field, pushing the Greeks back into the kind of perimeter they have of the ships. Uh, the Greeks being so worried, they start building a ditch and a wall with the gods aren't that happy about. This is all back in eight. So in nine, we're at nighttime. Um, Agamemnon can't sleep. He's looking out at the fires of the Trojans because the Trojans have stayed on the field. Uh, he seems worried that they are going to get overrun in the morning. So uh, he starts putting on his armor and starts coming up with a plan to get everybody together. Menelaus also can't sleep, uh, goes and finds Agamemnon, and they say, hey, we got to come up with a plan. Uh, let's go get everybody. So they set up a, set up a meeting. Um, lots of meetings. Agamemnon does lots of meetings. Uh, and uh, Agamemnon cries, which he likes to do too. And um, Nestor goes, hey, we need to get uh, Achilles back in the fight. And then they agree to send an embassy to Achilles. And uh, it's interesting what happens. He doesn't say he's... There's there's twists and turns in there, and there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance. So we'll explore that a little bit um, in the end. But then uh, the embassy comes back to Agamemnon and reports that Achilles uh, is not going to rejoin the fight right now. Uh, so over to you, Jeff, for the opening question. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Yeah, so it's uh, three people who are sent to talk to Achilles. They're supposed to be the Achaeans that Achilles loves the most, and they are Ajax who we uh, heard a little bit about in our last couple um, podcasts. He's uh, the second best hero, it looks like, of the Greeks, uh, very much a fighter like Achilles. Uh, there's Phoenix, who was Achilles' tutor um, when he was younger. And then there's uh, the wily Odysseus. Um, it looks like Nestor uh, puts his hopes in Odysseus. He and Odysseus spend some time whispering about what the plan is going to be. Uh, before the three ambassadors go. And uh, when it looks like Phoenix and Ajax are winding up to start talking to Achilles about how things stand, Odysseus jumps in and starts things off. Um, he makes his argument, and uh, Achilles responds, uh, guess what, tomorrow morning you're going to see me leaving Troy. Uh, forget it, I don't want any of the gifts that Agamemnon's going to give. And uh, by the way, Phoenix, you're staying with me. And uh, then Phoenix gives a long speech that's mostly stories about himself or about um, another warrior, uh, Meliagor, who was in a very similar situation to Achilles. And after um, Phoenix gives his pitch, Achilles says, okay, well, why don't you sleep here tonight and we'll talk about it in the morning. Right? In other words, it looks like there's a little give in Achilles' position. And then they're starting to pack up, and then Ajax says very briefly a couple things. Uh, you don't have pity on us, he says. Uh, you're fellow fighters. You don't care about us. And also, um, people take recompense even when their brothers are killed, says Ajax. And yet you won't take recompense for being wronged by Agamemnon, uh, who only took a woman from you, and now he's offering you seven. And at the end of that, Achilles says, okay, I, I'm not going to come back to the fight until 
Hector is beside my ships and my tents. So it looks like it amounts to a promise um, from Achilles that he will rejoin the fight at a point certain, a point to be determined. Not a great point for the Greeks, but still at some point. Um, so they all go back to report, and Odysseus gives the report, and he basically largely reports only Achilles' first response, that he's threatened that in the morning he's going to leave. So this, I, I love this uh, book of the Iliad, and it puzzles me to no end. And so I guess I have two questions. Um, is it right to detect some motion in Achilles? He's being persuaded on the one hand. And if that's right, then why doesn't Odysseus admit to Agamemnon and the rest of the Greeks that Achilles is softening his position? Can we talk about some of the reasons that Achilles gives for um, uh, not wanting to um, to enter the fight. I, I'm str I was struck particularly by his claim, and Jeff, your, your question presumes that he's made some decisions and all this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to permit that. You, you might need to prove it. Uh, you know the book better than me. But I was moved in a xenophontic way when Achilles said, you know what? I'm going to go live private life. And it's going to be terrific. And I'm going to have this long life with a wife. And I was like, this is Xenophon. We're doing it. He's turning it down. Uh, or if you think about Croesus and the education of Cyrus, or you think about Xenophon and the Anabasis. And here's Achilles saying, you know, I'm going to go live a private wife with a woman, live a long life with family, and, you know, just kind of retire to, uh, to home. And it's going to be great. And so there was a moment where I thought, there's some semantic wisdom in this man. But I, but throughout the book, of course, everyone, uh, the other characters, the other heroes, refer to his rage and his pride. And right. so, uh, and I, I'm not saying Achilles has a moment of philosophic enlightenment, but it did strike me that his argument uh, for why he doesn't want to go and the kind of life he envisions for himself, at least from the point of view of philosophy, is not so bad. And maybe that makes me a weak, uh, a cowardly man, but I, I did wonder about that. <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't think, think that conclusion you. is right. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Brian. No, I don't. I don't me. think that makes you a, a weaker, cowardly man at all. It makes a lot of sense. Like, but by the same token, Achilles' position, what he actually does, seems to make sense to me too. You know. Um, yeah, like I, I couldn't imagine not joining the Marine Corps. You know, and I couldn't imagine not going to Iraq or Afghanistan. Like that, just as much as it might make sense, you know, in like a, a philosophic way. Like it was just at the time in my life when it happened, it was unimaginable. Like it mm. just no, it could not happen. Um, which is interesting, but uh, for a bunch of, a bunch of reasons that uh, either classical literature or a good therapist might help uh, unravel, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, you know, the, the softening of the position is, is, is incredibly interesting. And also the way that Homer kind of tees it up right at, at three twelve, where Achilles answers Odysseus, but opens with hateful to me as the gates of Haiti is that man who hides one thing in his mind, but says another. And so if you if you factor in like these guys have known each other for a really long time, right? That there is a de there is a significant degree of implicit communication. Mm -hmm. Achilles knows, I think that Odysseus is pretty good at 
what he does, right? Uh, which is both fighting and, and being, you know, the cunning conniver, uh, Metis guy, right? So he's, I feel like he's saying that to Odysseus um, as kind of a, hey, I don't believe you. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. I, I know that there is more going on here than, than you're going to tell me and that you are conniving and you're kind of maneuvering here. Um, but it's also interesting because Achilles does exactly either. He changes his mind very rapidly over the course of these three speeches where he's like, I'm leaving tomorrow. Uh, Phoenix is going to stay here and we'll talk about leaving tomorrow or after the third speech. Well, you know, if the Trojans are at my ships, then I'll fight. And if you frame all that with this opening statement of hateful to me as the gates of Hades is the man who hides one thing in his mind, but says another, it adds a complexity to Achilles character that you might not have maybe noticed before that line. Um, so this is why I'm, I'm with Jeff in terms of like, this is a fascinating book and it's a weird book. And especially you know, a lot of times, like we've we've actually done this book before on the pod. Like it was f- like four years ago, and um, like and so we we talk about the Cleopatra stuff a lot because the, we'll just we're just going to drop this now because if anybody has like listened to the old podcast, I remember at least dropping this like Patroclus Cleopatra thing, and that was the first time I'd heard it, or at least maybe the first time I was awake enough in a class or in a situation to be. And so I was like, wait, what? Patroclus Cleopatra oh my god right um it was it was literally you know end of usual suspects Kaiser Zose (laughs) for me um but I you know the 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 the, was it Meliger Meliger story Meliager Meliager story of of being a captive um in the bedroom right um and that was interesting to me because I was part of me because I do think that there's a very sophisticated communication going on between the people in this room, right? They know each other. They've known each other for 10 years. They've all been on this beach for 10 years together. They've all fought together. They've seen like how people operate under stress, right? And that reveals a lot about them. Phoenix is also, like you said, Jeff, the tutor of Achilles. They have a very long history together, but there's this idea of being captive, right? And I'm almost, I'm almost wondering if this is like, you know, 90% Cleopatra stuff and Patroclus stuff and that kind of stuff. And 10% is, by the way, um, if we don't want you to leave, <laughs> like you're stuck on this beach, right? There's a lot of Achaeans out here. There's a lot of Greeks. And are you, you know, you think you can get out? You think everybody's going to let you leave? Um, and if there's not some kind of implication of an implied, of a waft, of a dash, of a threat um, going on there. Which mm-hmm. is kind of totally out in left field, so you guys can chuck it and just say no way Phoenix would do that. But it's it's interesting to me. Yeah, you guys can well, shoot I, that down. Feel free. I, I think I'm on board. Uh, so the two places you began, right? First, um, you know the connection, the personal connection. Let's try and think about who Achilles is. Uh, he's young, and they've been at Troy for ten years. Um, he's still he was accompanied to Troy by his tutor who was supposed to keep with him, right? So he might be, what, in his 20s now? And he was, uh, he's in his late 20s, he was in his late teens when he came to Troy. Um, so, you know, uh, 
he's been at this a long time and he might have started off not being able to think about anything other than um, being a hero and excelling in battle. But now it looks like um, he really is weighing some alternatives. Um, and the thing that strikes me about the, the second thing you did, the passage you raised, is um, it does seem to have some application to Odysseus, who is notoriously good at saying one thing and meaning another. Uh, you know, when we talk about chapter 10, there's going to, or book 10, there's going to be a moment where uh, Odysseus says, don't think of death to somebody who's about to die, <laughs> right? But, uh, so, you know, he's notorious for this, but the way it comes up, in this setting is first it looks like achilles is talking to himself second he might be talking about agamemnon and then third i don't know about the rank of those second and third but also he's talking about odysseus um in other words he is experiencing the difficulty of saying what he means and he hates that he doesn't want to be like that and i think that's got to be connected with um his singing and playing the the lyre when the others come in presumably he's singing about the achievements of heroes singing songs that might be sung about him and wondering what are these worth and that brings me to shiloh's question right the first allegation that achilles levels in response to odysseus is um equality is his problem the people who fight and the people who don't fight get treated equally in the army. Um, cowards and uh, brave people are treated equally, and the chief or the ultimate equalizer is death. Because, you know, cowards and brave people, uh, they all die in the end. Uh, brave people might even die more quickly than the cowards do. They might die sooner. And that bothers him. There is no reward for being excellent or no appropriate reward um, in Agamemnon's army. And then he aggravates it, you know, so not, not only is there this distasteful equality, but there's this inequality of all the heroes, I'm the only one whose prize was then taken away. And uh, so those two things, I think, um, bring him to the thought that uh, I'm not gonna believe Agamemnon, he's a liar, his gifts mean nothing to me, I have as good, from other places, from my own efforts, I'm leaving. Um, so that, I, I take it to be the core of his first reply. Um, the army's not fair. In fact, it's particularly unfair to me. Lynn, why, why, I, I buy this. It seems like there are kind of three parts of his psychological cosmos. Um, he's, he's contemptuous of Agamemnon. He's frustrated by this egalitarian fact of fighting, I mean, he's not going to be made a god or something. I mean, or something of this nature. I mean, he, he is sort of half a god. But at any rate, um, so so there's this uh, Agamemnon contempt you took from me in particular. There's this uh, even if you hadn't taken from me, everything's equal. Uh, and then there's this third thing, which is that he's tempted by uh, an alternative way of life because he's young and he sees that. Uh, maybe perhaps now there's more to life than this. After all, it's you mentioned, Brian, that you wouldn't have um, not gone uh, over to the Middle East. And m the difference between that and Achilles is that, my, in my view, is that he did go and he is the Michael Jordan of the whole place already. Like mm -hmm. he's just the best there's ever been, the best there's going to be. And so it's like he's won the Super Bowl and can retire at 29 years old or whatever the case may be versus somebody who's still. And so he's got this. But at any rate, 
I, I, I like very much the psychological cosmos you, you sketched, Jeff, and now, but my question is, why do the other heroes not see that? Or at least he's, he's thought to be prideful. He's criticized for having some, um, you know, whether it's vanity, pride, some mix of these things. Um, and, other, you know, because what we've been saying is Achilles is a much more complex character emotionally than the man who is on the cover of the comic book, Achilles, you know, the, he just fights and kicks ass. But, uh, but there seems to be this complexity, which you point out is, uh, is illustrated in the music. He's a musical warrior. This stunned me. I'd forgotten about this, and I couldn't help but think of the musical Socrates as well. But um, anyway, uh, and so I wonder why don't his fellows give him the, uh, you know, the credit for being uh, complex, perhaps even more than Agamemnon is, you know? in terms of his emotional cosmos i guess it might be like <clears throat> why are why are the other ones there why is phoenix at troy why is ajax at troy why is odysseus at troy like do we have an answer for that so there's something weird that happens um in the order and i think it's connected to Brian's question, and it suggests that the answer to Brian's question is that Phoenix and Ajax do not are not adequate to Achilles' um, complaints. They do not know why they're there. Um, so th this really puzzles me. It looks like um, when they get in, um, what is it? Phoenix gives a look to Ajax, maybe, or either that or it's ajax who gives a look to phoenix I think ajax yeah gives the look yeah so ajax gives the look to phoenix and my interpretation of that is that ajax and phoenix both think that phoenix is going to talk first and odysseus starts in odysseus makes the offer he hears achilles response and he does not respond to it and odysseus i think is the only one who's adequate uh thoughtful enough to actually respond to Achilles' accusations um, with something like, uh, well, that's the way it is. You know, Agamemnon's a king. He has the ability to bring more people together than you do. There's a kind of injustice in it. I'm aware of it too. You have to be more clever than you are to negotiate it. But if you balance out the cost and benefit, you'll see there's still benefit to be gained. You should stick around. Right? There's some kind of calculative answer that Achilles never gets. Instead, the channel just gets changed and Phoenix starts telling his stories, um, which seem to boil down to something like, um, you're really going to hurt me because I invested a lot in you and I have no other children. Um, there's this story about Mel Yeager, and it sounds pretty pathetic because he finally gave up on being wrathful when it was too late and he didn't get any gifts. Whereas you can give up on being wrathful now and you'll get gifts. And in the middle, oh yeah, and by the way, even the gods change their minds. And you don't want to dishonor prayers, do you? Um, so maybe that middle argument actually has more force than I'm giving it credit for. But my impression is that uh, the impressiveness of Achilles' interlocutors, of the ambassadors, decreases to some extent. And that means Achilles' arguments are never really addressed. I, th I, I want to almost give a little bit of credit to Ajax, though. <laughs> Because like Ajax is like, well, we're wasting our time. Let's get out of here, you know, which I almost think is a great argument. You know, I almost think it's like, you know, Ajax saying he's prideful and we're stoking that pride. And so Ajax kind of takes a different ta tack 
and is like, we're wasting our time on this guy. Um, and says it to Achilles, uh, and Achilles takes it very phlegmatically. But I almost think that might not have been a terrible pitch, generally, um, of just like, eh, we don't care, because um, you know, ignore the hero, and he's going to want to not be ignored anymore. You know, um, insofar as there's any positive content to what Ajax says, he's making an argument based on small unit cohesion, basically. Yeah, you're getting screwed over by Agamemnon, but you're not thinking about us, the people who are fighting beside you on the battlefield. What about us? Don't you care about us? We're getting slaughtered out there. And it's got to be one of those two things, right? The, the reason that Achilles is still there unless there's a third option I'm not thinking of is either the chance for more prizes, right? Which he seems to kind of care about. He brings it up previously, um, like the trophies and stuff that he's captured. Um, or that small unit cohesion, right? Like what other option is there? It's either prizes or the cohesion. So the fact that he's still there, you know, begs that question of, you know, does he want to just watch the Greeks get, kind of slaughtered like is that you know why he's hanging out but he's hanging out for some reason right? Mm -hmm. yeah he decides to stick around to experience the moment that um phoenix and i guess in some respects ajax both warn him against the moment where uh so much irreparable damage has been done that there's nothing he can do to repair it and that the story about achilles will then always be he did nothing until this irreparable loss was inflicted, right? I, I think the story about Meliagor is supposed to sound sad for that reason. Uh, that's not exactly a heroic story you want to hear. Oh, tell me the one about Meliagor again, uh, because he waited so long. Um, he did, I think, end up saving the people he had to save, but only after great destruction was done and, and no gifts were given him. Um, that would be a sad song about Achilles, who's going to get a sad song about him anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's really like the worst, almost the worst thing that could happen, right? Is imagine going back to, you know, the land of Achaea, the land of the Achaeans. And even though it's this disparate city-state political kind of thing, like you were, you went, you were there for 10 years. Um, and then you could have probably saved like the Greeks and probably helped conquer Troy. And you just hung out and watched all the Greeks get slaughtered and then saved the Myrmidons and took off. Like that is, that's a really shitty story. <laughs> like that is not, you know, how you'd want to be remembered. I don't think. And that's, but that's kind of what he's facing right now. I was just going to say, Shiloh, we're not doing justice to your question, right? Because all this amounts to a big avoidance on Achilles' part of the very dilemma that interests you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he wants to go home. And I, I was just struck reading it that I know that Odysseus wants to go home, too. Mm -hmm. And so I suspect when he hears Achilles say that, he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, he, this goes back to what I said a moment ago. Uh, in what you were saying, Jeff, is that Odysseus is the... Um, is emotionally complex enough to get the whole of Odysseus' complaint in a way that the others don't. And I wonder if his complaint doesn't, maybe not the stuff about uh, getting equal gifts and such, but the part about going home doesn't um, resonate some with, uh, with Odysseus. Mm -hmm. 
I don't I don't know if these guys want to go home. You know, like, I, and I feel like I literally made this joke five years ago. Um, but <laughs> you know, there was there was uh, you know a wonderful duffel blog meme like five five years ago, which is like you know Master Sergeant prays for war with Iran so that he can get get out of you know being home. You know. Uh, because there is this thing about being deployed and being in a combat zone and it's simpler, you know, to an extent, like nobody's calling you to pay your cable bill or your phone bill. And like the plumbing doesn't get backed up. And if it does, you don't have to fix it. Like, so there's all these kind of constant worries and low level stressors that are replaced, um, by this very simplistic, kind of I have to take care of my gear and I have to take care of my troops and I have to take care of my mission and that is it. Um, and so I think if these guys wanted to go home, they could have gone home at any point. Uh, the fact that they haven't might be, and it might be, you know, a little bit in this, you know, book we find out that there's wine ships that show up every day. <laughs> So it's like, wait, there's a boot. So wait, you're on a beach. You're on this nice beach. Um, there's plenty of women around. Um, and it ain't Iraq. There's a booze cruise. <laughs> yeah, and there's a booze cruise every day. Right. Like, oh yeah, this sounds yeah. like a tough deployment. You know, this is like a, this is like an Air Force deployment. You know, like it's not. It's not that. It's not, it's we just not lost that a third difficult. of our listeners, Brian. <laughs> no, we only have one Air Force listener, and I know her. So. Like, um, and, and they will enjoy that joke as well. So, uh, yeah. So it, I don't know if they're serious when they're like, Oh, I want to go on Achilles certainly isn't because he doesn't, you know, the guy that maybe has the biggest reason to leave doesn't. Yeah. You, you seem know. to me to have captured pretty well the mindset I'd say of somebody like Diomedes, who's about to, who acquires a kind of, um, preeminence in Achilles' absence and um, kind of takes charge uh, at the end of this book and beginning of the, into the next. But for Odysseus, uh, it seems to me like he's made a decision, like the Greeks have to act as if Achilles is not coming back, maybe to hasten the return of Achilles, right? In other words, giving them hope that Achilles will return is actually, oddly enough, um, a more dangerous policy than trying to get rid of their hope that Achilles will return, um, push them into despair, um, and thereby actually make it more likely that Achilles will return. Because uh, the standard for his return at the end of the embassy scene is very dire indeed. Yeah, I think it's a, a really good analysis. And I I think that, you know, Odysseus is, is managing up, right? He's, he's managing Agamemnon is probably what's happening. And so I think your analysis is exactly right, right? Tell Agamemnon and everybody else, this dude's probably going to leave tomorrow, which means they have to make the decision, okay, we're going to stay and fight uh, or we need to get out of here, right? And so it's limiting the available options um, that are there, which also like, it makes me wonder about Nestor a little bit because you know they're they're the, the opening of this book is like all right we got to figure out what to do and Nestor's like well we just got to get Achilles, um, and I you know and that doesn't it kind of look 
who knows? Maybe maybe the plan that Nestor actually has works, um, you know, and, and the plan is to get Patroclus killed. Uh, but it's it's curious that if that is the case, that's some incredibly, you know, wheels within wheels, house of cards stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's not, then Nestor's just wrong. <laughs> you know, if Nestor's like, yeah, just give him some stuff, you know, that'll do it. Uh, if that's actually Nestor's position, then Nestor isn't as thoughtful and intelligent as maybe we think he is. But I don't know. I, I mean, the fact that we've got the little whisper scene between him and Odysseus leads me to believe that it's like, okay, we got to get Patroclus killed. Let's put the wheels in motion. Sure. Um, but if so, my God, that is that is devious. That is some devious stuff going on in this book. I don't know. We're about a time, and I'm 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 rambling here, so I apologize for the ramble. But um, what what I'd say to like listeners, if, if you know, if you haven't read this before, um, you can start at this book. Oh yeah, jump in on book nine, and you'll be like, wait, what is going on here? And then you'll have to go back to book one, and you'll read the whole thing, um, and hopefully enjoy it. And you don't have to come up with Brian's conclusion that this is all a meditation on hierarchy and who should be in charge and who shouldn't. But if you do, you know, drop us a line, comment classics at gmail.com, uh, or give us a follow on the Instagram and hashtag Brian's right about home. Um, always, always helpful. Probably not true. Um, but you know, helpful for my, my delicate Achilles like best segue so. in the business. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, uh, Thank Shiloh, you. Yeah, uh, as always. And uh, we will be back with book 10 here shortly. Thank you to your listeners. Thank you.